Well, I get to be the bearer of really good news. I get to say thank you to God and uh, to you for uh, what I can only call extraordinary generosity. As we were heading toward the end of the year, you know, like every church in this country, we depend so much on, on December for our giving. And, and I had three benchmarks for the, the year in total giving. Uh, the first was 3.14 million. Uh, which would enable us to meet all of our expenses because we were able to, to save a few dollars last year. The second benchmark was $3.266 million, uh, which was our initial budget that we started out with, what we expected to need for the year. And then uh, my third benchmark was $3.4 million, which would enable us to start out this year really, really well. Well, you exceeded the $3.14 million, uh, you then exceeded the 3.266 million. You then exceeded the 3.4 million. And uh, we landed uh, by God's uh, amazing grace and no doubt your generosity, 3.645 million. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I say that really just to, to say thank you. We had... Uh, from what we can tell, the biggest December in terms of giving ever, which means probably it's the biggest month we've ever had in terms of giving. Uh, you gave nearly $1.2 million in December. And uh, that means that we have uh, just over half a million dollars of surplus from last year. And uh, I promise you we will use that to extend the ministry of this congregation, uh, not only inside, but also in this community that God has placed us in and in this world that God loves and has called us to. So I just want to start off, my heart is full, uh, and just say how grateful I am to what God has done and your generosity as motivated, no doubt, by a good God who gives so much to us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, uh, let's look now at uh, God's Word. We're going to turn to John chapter 6. You'll find that on page 891 in the Bibles that we have for you in the pews. And if you don't have a Bible, take one of those home. That's our gift uh, to you. Judy and I have uh, uh, an 85-pound Labrador retriever named uh, Rigby. And uh, Rigby has a girlfriend, uh, Stella. Uh, Stella happens to be our neighbor because Stella is Will and Allison Bosdale's dog. They live across the cul-de-sac from us. And... Uh, uh, like I said, I mean, Rigby just loves Stella. They love to hang out together. But there's one thing that um, Rigby loves even more than Stella, and that is Stella's food. <laughs> and uh, uh, in fact, here's a picture of our dog <laughs> peering in the Bosdell's front door, waiting for someone to open the door just enough so that he can sneak through and race to Stella's bowl where he will eat every bit of it if they don't stop him beforehand. Our, uh, you know, I, I'm convinced that no matter how much we feed Rigby, he's always hungry. He, he, he would eat all day long if we would put the food out there before him. And, and I understand that all labs are, are like that. Our, the labs we've had have all been like that. And, and as I've thought about that, I've thought, you know, maybe um, I'm part lab. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm going to get serious, of course, and uh, kind of tell you where I'm going with this. We all hunger for something. And uh, we don't always realize it, just how hungry we are. 
Um, for instance, if I were to ask you this question, um, are you ever lonely? Uh, that could very well mean, it does mean that you're hungry for a relationship. That's pretty obvious. But, uh, but what, uh, uh, what about this question? Uh, do you complain a lot? Well, that may mean you're hungry for a world or a life that, that works out uh, more according to what you like, what you would uh, seek to have if it were all up to you. Uh, another question. Do you ever get bored? I mean, really bored with life. Well, you hunger for a world, a life that is much more interesting. Last question, um, do you ever feel unfulfilled? Do, do you, uh, even as a, as a young person, and certainly with older folks, uh, we can get to at some stage in our lives, we can think, well, gosh, my life didn't turn out like I really wanted it to. But that happens even uh, with younger folks, teenagers as well at, at times. And um, if you've ever gotten to that point, it's because you hunger for something uh, that is a little bit different, that, that is more satisfying than the life that you have had uh, so far. We all hunger. Every one of us hungers for something. The question is, how do we fill that hunger? And what I want to show you this morning briefly is that uh, Christ is the only one who can fill the ultimate hunger that we all have. We're going to be looking at John chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in the very first verse as we look at one of the miracles uh, of Jesus that show us a bit about who he really is. John 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill... He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Uh, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Skipping then over to verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then finally, skipping down to verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we, um, gosh, we, we need you. We need to even begin to understand what all is here, what what it means when you tell us that you're the bread of life. So help us, Lord. Uh, we need you to be our teacher. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Okay, uh, two points this morning. 
Uh, first, you can't feed yourself. And second, only Jesus can satisfy the hunger in your heart. You can't feed yourself. Only Jesus can satisfy the hunger in your heart. So, uh, you can't feed yourself. This first section in, in chapter 6 tells us of the astonishing miracle of, of Jesus, one that is often called the feeding of the 5,000. But if you read carefully, uh, you'll see that there were about 5,000 men gathered there. And that's how they recorded numbers oftentimes in that day. That also means, though, that the women and children who would have been there as well could have numbered as high as uh, 20,000 altogether, men, women, and children. And so there are probably 15 to 20,000 people there. And so when Jesus takes these five loaves of bread, two fish, and, and he makes enough out of that to feed 20,000 people, I mean, this is something these folks will never forget. I mean, how can you forget seeing something like that? Five loaves of bread, two fish, not big fish, little fish, probably something like sardines, turned into enough to feed 20,000 people and to have 12 baskets full of bread left over. I mean, they're not going to forget this. Now, they don't, though, fully understand who is there. I mean, this is the creator who is at work, not only creating, but sustaining uh, his creation. They haven't quite figured that out, but they do know that something's up uh, because in verse 15, they call him the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus is the creator of all that is and the sustainer of all that he has created. Now, the disciples haven't gotten this yet either. I mean, they, uh, you know, Jesus asked this question, how are we going to feed all of these people and uh, the, the disciples basically throw up their, uh, their hands. I mean, you know, what, what can we do? Philip says, you know, well, uh, we don't have enough money to begin to feed all these people. Andrew says, um, well, there, there are uh, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish that this boy has, but you know, what good will that do? I mean, they, they know uh, that they can't solve the problem. And so what you see here is a, is a test Jesus is testing them uh, to create this teaching moment for the disciples. He's helping them see that he is the only one sufficient to feed 20,000 people. The disciples are not up to the task. Now, of course, they, they, they don't really have a way to even purchase food. There's no Ebenezer Grill, there's no Subway, there's no Chick-fil-A, and, and even if there were, they wouldn't have the, the money to be able to feed 20,000 people. So, so what Jesus is doing is, is using this, this test to teach them something much deeper, a much deeper lesson. He wants, and here it is, he wants to shatter the illusion of their self-sufficiency. He intentionally puts us, his followers, in life situations in which we realize just how powerless uh, we really are. We realize that we can't fix it. I mean, uh, think about the occasion uh, here for the, the feeding of the, of the 5,000. In verse 4, we're told that it's the time of the Passover, the Passover celebration. Uh, that was, if you're not familiar with that, that happened hundreds of years before uh, this occasion of the feeding of 5,000 when God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. 
And every single year then they would celebrate what God had done for them, doing for them what they couldn't do for themselves. They were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. Uh, Do you think they liked that? Uh, Do you think they wanted to be under the uh, oppression of slavery? Do you you think they they wanted to escape? Well, of course they did. Uh, Do you think they could on their own? No, of course they could not. Uh, They could not liberate themselves, but God could and God did. Only God was sufficient. You know what he did then when he freed them from slavery? He put them into a 40-year training course to teach that same lesson that only God is sufficient and that they were not. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years heading to the promised land that God committed to give to them. 40 years where they couldn't feed themselves. What did they have to do every single morning? They had to get up, cry out to the Lord, give us this day our daily bread because they didn't have the kind of food that it would take to feed themselves. And every day, day after day, the Lord gave to them bread from heaven, manna, that took care of their needs for that day. So what was God doing? He was shattering their illusion of self-sufficiency, putting them in situations where they know that they are powerless, putting them in in situations that we find ourselves in oftentimes uh, and, and that we just can't fix it. He's trying to get us to lean on him, to trust in him instead of trusting in ourselves because we simply cannot fix it. Now, some of you have... Um, commented on my, what some people have called my Christmas miracle, and it pretty much is a Christmas miracle. I'm now driving a Ford Bronco. And uh, so, um, well, there's a lot I could say about that. Some have said uh, my inner child has come out. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case, but I have wanted one of these since college. Uh, Some have said, uh, gosh, that's a great that's a great vehicle. That's going to be fun to drive. Others have said, you're having a midlife crisis. Well, I'm a little past midlife, so that can't be true. Um, so anyway, uh, I've had all kinds of comments about my, my Bronco. And my favorite, though, came from my five-year-old grandson, James. Uh, James has this deep voice, and he calls me Mike Mike. And uh, so he, he saw my car, and he said, he said this about three times, Mike Mike. That car is awesome. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I mean, he just, he gets the award for the best comment about my, my Christmas miracle, and I've now put him in my will to get the car when, yeah. <laughs> uh, So anyway, um, as I said, I've wanted one of these since I was in, in college. A fraternity brother had one, and I just loved it. And, uh, um, you know, and anybody that really knows me well probably has heard me talk about a Ford Bronco. And uh, so um, that's especially the case for my father. My father's the one who helped me buy my first car. He helped me learn how to horse trade, as he called it, uh, four cars. And uh, he um, is the one that would go to car shows with me. We'd look at the Broncos that were there. And, and when the new Broncos came out a couple of years ago, when we would be driving somewhere, he'd point to it and he'd say, now, when are you going to get your Bronco? And uh, so he's also the one that, you know, when I got the Bronco, I was probably uh, most excited about sharing the news with and showing him uh, the, the Bronco. You know, I don't think a son ever 
uh, gets tired of celebrating uh, kind of a significant event with his father. Uh, you know, as a son, you just want your father to be uh, proud of you. And uh, the problem is, uh, my father has dementia. And uh, so when I showed him the car, he didn't really know what it was. All he could say was, it's big. And, uh, you know, um, why do I tell you that story? Uh, because uh, the dementia is pretty far down the road at this stage, and I know I can't fix it, no matter what I do. But I do know that God can and one day will. God puts us in situations to shatter our illusion of self-sufficiency and, you know, I mean, all kinds of situations. For, perhaps for you, it's a child that has wandered from the faith or perhaps it's a spouse who has just looked you in the eyes and said, I just don't have any love for you anymore. Perhaps it's a, a family member or a close friend who has a terminal illness and, and you know, you just can't fix it. At the heart, and let me, this is kind of counterintuitive, but let me just, let me just say it because you need to get this. I, I don't know that I can say much more that is important as we begin this new year together. At the very heart of spiritual maturity, for those who really do know the Lord and are growing in the Lord and have walked with the Lord, the very heart of spiritual maturity, one of the real evidences that you are, that you are really grown up in the Lord, as it were, is that you understand you are unable to fix it that there are things in life you just cannot fix. And ultimately, where we're going, of course, is that there are hungers in your heart that you cannot satisfy. You can't feed yourself because only Jesus can satisfy the hunger that is in your heart. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's saying, I'm the only one who can feed you spiritually. I'm the only one who can satisfy the deepest hunger of your heart. I'm the only one who can feed you in such a way that you will never be hungry again. I created you for myself. And there's this, this gaping hole in your heart that only I can fill. But here's the problem. All of us do this at different times. That we all try to fill that hole with so many other things. Sometimes good things, sometimes not so good things. But, but it doesn't work because only Jesus can fill that hole. Everybody tries to do this though at times. Whether it's success or money, travel adventures, uh, achievement, fame, a Ford Bronco. I mean, you name it. There we try to fill that hunger in our hearts with all kinds of things. But without Jesus, you just can't do it. All those things, as good as they may be, at some point in time will run out of steam. All of those kinds of bread, if we can call it that, uh, will eventually spoil. Only the true bread will not. C.S. Lewis uh, said this in such a wise way. Most people know that they want something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country 
or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I am not speaking of unsuccessful marriages, holidays, or careers. I am speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. If you get the very best this world has to offer, I can promise you one thing, you'll still be empty. Do you know how many people have been ruined by winning the lottery? Have you ever read a good story from that? Nothing but Jesus is going to satisfy you. There's just no life anywhere else other than in Jesus Christ. Nothing else, nothing else will satisfy you. Not a better marriage, not more money, not better health, nothing. Uh, You were made for Jesus Christ. Uh, Feast on me, Jesus says. I am the bread of life. I am alone what you long for. I am your daily bread. Everybody is hungry, but there is only one bread. Do you know that bread? Do you know that bread? I'm not asking if you would call yourself a Christian. I'm asking, do you know that bread? Do you know Jesus Christ? Is he what really satisfies your soul? Is he your greatest joy? Billy Graham uh, tells the story or has told the story and probably still telling it in heaven, you never know. But uh, he tells the story of... um, being uh, on a Caribbean island, visiting uh, a number of people. He's speaking, of course, and, and uh, he's visiting on the very top, the very peak of the island with uh, one of the wealthiest men in the world. And uh, they, you know, he's, he's way up on the top of the island. He can look down and see this man's helicopter pad and all the way down in the marina, this man's yacht. And, and he's sitting and talking with this man, and at some point the man says, you know, I have everything this world has to offer, and, and yet... I bet you I am the saddest person on earth. And that same day, interestingly, Billy Graham is meeting at the bottom of the island uh, with the poorest of the poor, a Baptist minister who um, spends his days mostly now caring for two invalid sisters. And yet here is Billy Graham sitting at his kitchen table and he looks at him with this big smile on his face and he says, I have nothing. I don't have a thing. But I can tell you, I doubt there's anybody any happier on this whole planet than me. You know, he didn't have anything this world had to offer. But he had the one thing that you need to have a heart fully satisfied. To have a heart of joy. He had Jesus Christ. There's only one thing you need to have life abundant. It is the bread. And you're not going to have it any other way than in Jesus Christ. Feast on me, Jesus says. I am what you long for. I am your daily bread. That's why Jesus tells us in verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, a a new kind of life, an eternal kind of life in which the deepest hunger, even beginning now, the deepest hunger of our heart is satisfied. And then he goes on to say, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so he's pointing forward as we get ready to come to this table. He's actually pointing us forward by what we do uh, today. Uh, When we come to the table, we feast on Jesus symbolically 
eating his flesh and drinking his blood. I think uh, that Christ wanted to say it that way so that he would know, that we would know uh, there's something going on here more than just remembrance. Uh, there's something truly that we are engaging with Jesus Christ. He is meeting with us. We're communing with him. But this feast is just a foretaste. You know when you go to Baskin Robbins and you get that little pink spoon to try a taste of some uh, new ice cream. Well, that's what this is. It's a foretaste. Uh, it's good in and of itself. And it does bring to us, as we come by faith, believing that Jesus Christ is here, believing that we feast on him, it does give us a bit of that satisfaction that we long for. I mean, this is one of the, we call it means of grace. This is one of the God, ways God communicates himself to us. But this is a foretaste. It is the pink spoon. What is to come at the marriage supper of the Lamb when we who are God's people are raised together uh, to be his bride? What is to come there will be a joy that we can only begin to taste on this earth. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we, we just give ourselves to so many things. There's so many things that can fill us, we think, but um, they all, at the end of the day, end up uh, never filling the deepest longings of our, our souls. And, and so, Father, I pray uh, we, that we would thank you for all the good gifts we have for, um, for the money to buy food and have shelter, for families, for friends, uh, for careers. All, all those things are such good things, and they're good gifts of, of yours. But at the end of the day, there's a, there's a hole in our heart that is too big even for those things all put together to fill. The one thing big enough is you. And so, Lord Jesus... Enable us to meet with you now as we come to the table. Uh, we pray these things in your name. Amen.